0: Today's guest is one of professional softball's greatest, Monica Abbott. Monica is a staple for the U.S. women's national softball team where she has competed in both the 2008 and 2020 Olympics, earning a silver medal. Along with four softball World Cup championships and three Canada Cup titles under her belt, Monica is a three-time world champion, five-time national pro fast pitch champion, and six-time Japan softball league champion. It is no surprise that Monica holds all of these titles, as she is one of the NCAA record holders for both wins and strikes from her time as a Tennessee Lady Volunteer and the first woman in any sport to receive a million-dollar contract. In this episode, Monica shares how her softball experience has shaped the woman she is today and what she hopes to see for the future of softball. Monica's perspective when it comes to being your own hype woman will be game-changing for the way young girls view themselves in sport. And I cannot wait for everyone to learn a thing or two about a sport that deserves more visibility. Monica, welcome to the Voice in Sport podcast.
1: Hi. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm um, just really happy to be here and to just be on the show. Well, we have the pleasure of speaking
0: with one of the the highest professional softball players, one of the greatest in the world. You are a staple on the US Women's National Softball team where you've competed both in the 2008 and 2020 Olympics, earning a silver medal and a gold medal. So, along with your World Cup championships and three Canadian Cup titles under your belt, You've also been a three-time world champion, a five-time national pro fast-pitch champion, and a six-time champion softball league in Japan. So it's really incredible the amount of accomplishments you have had over the course Mm -hmm. of your career. And it really is no surprise that you have had an incredible impact also in collegiate sports. So we're going to talk about that today and really start with your experience and your journey through sport as a young athlete. And then we'll end on all of the things you're currently working on today as a professional athlete. So you know, let's go way back. And, you know, I think impressive is definitely an understatement for when we talk about all the things that you've done <laughs> in the softball world. But I want to start as far back as we can and talk about how you started in this sport. What led you to say, you know what, softball is the sport for me?
1: Yeah, you know, it <laughs> Just first off, wow. And thank you for having me again. But, you know, I think for me, softball has been a game of opportunity. And it I've just kind of like ran through each door as it as it opened and didn't look back. But when I got started in the game, um, I followed my older sister into it. You know, my older sister was She was strong. She played shortstop. You know, she was the social butterfly and she came home from school with like a flyer and all our friends were signing up to play rec softball. And so I ended up just following her and my mom being like, well, Jessica's signing up. So Monica, you're signing up too. And for the first part of my career in softball, I just became known as Jessica's sister. I wasn't very good. I was afraid of the ball. I was there for like snacks and running around and like having a good time. You know, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just there because my mom signed me up. And I really, I really was known as Jessica's sister. I played right field. I just got my one at bat that each girl had to have and I was eating candy in the dugout. You know, <laughs> that that's kind of <laughs> how I, I got started in the game. I think that's incredible because,
0: you know, sometimes I feel like we have images or a story in our mind about, you know, amazing athletes like you, that how you started and and to hear Mm -hmm. that you were like, (laughs) you know, in the dugout eating candy isn't really like the picture that maybe some girls have about how you started. And I think that that's so important, so open and honest about, okay, that's where you started. And now look where you're at. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I I think like when you have brothers and sisters, I I mean, think about like families or in my case, you know, you know, the focus was on someone else. And I was just kind of there. I was like the tag along. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I didn't mind it. I was having fun. I'll play softball with Jessica, but I didn't really have my own identity or who I wasn't in the sport I was just there because my mom it was easy for my mom to drive us both (laughs) to practice you know (laughs) and that's part of life um but you know I just followed her into it and that's kind of how I got into the sport of softball I, I played on the team I wasn't very good for probably five six years and then one year my sister Jessica the team needed a pitcher so Jessica was like the most athletic kid on the team, so she's like, I'll try pitching, and she was pretty good, so my mom gave her a pitching lesson with the local coach from that rec association, and who was stuck behind the plate? Like, (laughs) me. I had to catch for her, like her younger sister that just wasn't really into softball. I had to put on all the gear and sit behind home plate and try to catch her, and I was scared of the ball, and I hated it. And she was hurting my hand because she threw the ball so hard. And lo and behold, I'm taking off the catcher's gear at the end of that lesson. And I, at that point, I had tried, literally tried, like, every position on the field. And I was still, like, kind of sucky at all of them. <laughs> so I'm taking off this gear. And I'm like, gosh, I hate catching. I can't wait to go home, you know, and ride my bike or whatever it was I was going to do that day. And the pitching coach was like, you know, Monica... You're not a good catcher. And I'm looking at him like, yeah, my hand hurts. Like, (laughs) I do not (laughs) want to catch. Like, this is awful. (laughs) I'm here because my mom made me. (laughs) And he goes, you know, why don't you try pitching? Have you tried pitching yet? You could be pretty good. And I was like, well, I haven't tried pitching yet. Like, maybe I could be good. And he just kind of sparked this idea and this opportunity. And that's kind of how I started pitching I begged my mom for a lesson and told her I would practice a lot and I did all the worst chores in the house to work for this one pitching lesson just so I could try it because somebody thought like "Oh, oh Monica you know you could be good someone gave me an opportunity and sparked interest in me and I was like okay let me try and that's really how I got into pitching and once I became a pitcher that's when I fell in love with the sport of softball
0: so how old were you from when you started in the dugout eating candy, trying all these positions and then like
1: finding pitching, like how long was that? And what ages are we talking about here? So when I first started softball, I did like t-ball and stuff, but when I was on the team with Jessica, I was probably, I don't know, I probably must've been like seven to 11 years old, 12 years old. Cause that story about me starting pitching was right around like, all 13. Wow, that's
0: incredible. Because you know, that's the age where a lot of young girls fall out of sport. And -hmm. there's a lot of reasons why we know some of them are it's not fun, or they had a bad coach or, you know, their body image or any there's Mm -hmm. so many factors, but that age is so critical. And it's interesting that that's sort of when you found a position that you loved.
1: Yeah, definitely. It was like acceptance, someone sparked something in me like, Oh, well, maybe you could try it, you know, why, why don't you just give it a chance? You know, you could be good. Someone sparked confidence in me. Someone believed in me. Someone gave me an idea. And I think that's what really helped me. Otherwise, maybe I would have been that person that fell out of sport because no one believed in me or no one thought that I could do it. I just needed someone to, to push confidence into me and to give me a chance.
0: That's so incredible. I mean, that is why we have our mentorship program. Sometimes it yeah. just takes that one person to support you, to believe in you, to to inspire you to keep playing. So that's really cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about maintaining confidence then from that age of 13 all the way through sticking with sports in high school, because, you know, you can go through a lot of ups and downs, but then mm-hmm. you continue through and you go to high school yeah. and a lot of girls again, drop out again and Sometimes that has to do with confidence. So how do you keep that confidence alive as you go into high school sports?
1: Well, I think for me, what really, some of the things that made me confident in sport was just having a good routine. I think I was really good at that. I was really good at having a routine where I could put in like 30 minutes. And a lot of times I would set a timer and be like, okay, now 30 minutes of softball practice in the backyard, or a lot of times in the street or at the local park, wherever I could go. And then sometimes I would try to get my friends to come or my teammates or like, maybe we could get a coach to come. But I did a good job of creating a routine and having something consistent that was active, like the sport of softball. For me, I felt like I became more confident in myself I dealt with all the the emotions and the highs and lows of life. If I got a bad grade on a test, you know, so someone was mean to me at school, if I was having a stressful day with a school project, all of those other things became easier for me to do because after I did my 30 minutes of softball, it gave me that kind of mental break. If things weren't going right in my life, I could go and do softball for a little bit and then not only would it help me become a better pitcher and better softball player for my team, it also helped me be more confident in life and on the softball field and it and it just transferred over to every aspect.
0: I feel like a lot of girls end up burning out in mm-hmm. high school, especially if they start, you know, succeeding in sports and and winning some of these state awards like you did. How do you avoid burnout? What advice would you give to girls in high school if they've
1: lost the fun, they're They're really good, but they are feeling burned out. I would say just separation is huge. I think people in high school, you know, there's things you want to do, right? Like you want to go to dances, you want to go to pep rallies, you want to, you know, do social things with your friends and be in clubs and other things. But I think you really have to have balance and know what you're capable of doing. Like you can't do it all, <laughs> you know, you really can't, but you can do a lot. And I think that's where people get burned out as they try to do too much. And it becomes overwhelming for them. And there is such a thing as like, yes, like, being a high level athlete, if you have goals of going to college or playing professional, like you do have to make some sacrifices, you are going to miss some things that your friends maybe will be able to do. But you can also balance that out with being able to picking your time and place of when your dances are, when your school friends are, when other rallies and stuff are within your school. So I think it's really like a game of balance and time management that can really help you eliminate that burnout phase.
0: Well, and let me ask you, did you always choose sport in that phase or did you take that time to go to a dance and to do other things outside of softball when you were in high school?
1: Oh, I... I went to the dances. I did all the stuff outside of softball. But I think, you know, I was a multi-sport athlete. So when I wasn't in softball season, I played basketball. When I was in basketball season, like basketball was the priority, softball took, you know, a backseat. Even though I knew softball was going to be my main thing, I knew I wanted to play softball at the next level. I, but while I was doing basketball, it was also like, A nice mental break from softball. It could refresh me, you know, things like that. So I was able to have that balance.
0: It's so interesting that you also played other
1: sports, and I feel like that's a really
0: important message to share to girls: is you don't have to specialize so soon if you want to make it to the top of a sport. And and so I wanted to ask you a little bit about what you think contributed the most to your success at a young age in softball as a pitcher Mm -hmm. in high school. And this is even before we talk about college sports, but what do you think really contributed to that success the most? Was it playing multi-sports? Were there other things that you would love to share to girls that you think really helped you?
1: I would say when I think about just like skill development or just athletic development, I would say skill development is definitely that creating a good routine, just like a consistent routine being where your feet are, like focusing for that hour a day, that 30 minutes a day, just being consistent in your routine of softball practice. Well, when you're doing it, I would always have a goal of getting at least three days of practice in, you know, three days it, I knew I had a chance to maintain or get better. If I could get four days of softball practice in, I would get better. You know, that doesn't mean you have to do it every day, right? Like seven days in a week. If I could get four days in, of an hour, 30 minutes to an hour, then I knew I was going to be, I was going to perform well. And then I would just say, just having good separation and balance. So when you're hanging out with your friends, like hang out with your friends. <laughs> when you're working on your English project, work on your English project, you know, just don't let those outside distractions get to you. If you're doing basketball or volleyball or You know, track and field or cross country or those other things, like focus on that. I think my athleticism really developed when I was doing other sports at a young age or even in high school. Doing those other sports really helped me develop athletically, but I think skill development in my own sport was definitely having that routine. I love that.
0: Such a good message for the girls. Well, let's talk about your time at the University of Tennessee, because after you had an incredible year or four years in high school, you then went on to the University of Tennessee and you were the third pitcher in the NCAA history to notch 500 strikeouts in a season after your freshman year, Mm -hmm. which led you to being named SEC freshman of the year. And you were also the first Louisville slugger first team all American and earned two more titles in your time there. Mm -hmm. So how did you stay dominant over the course of those years? And how did you keep that balance during all of those incredible accomplishments?
1: Yeah. You know, college was such a, I loved being in college, but I will say like your freshman year, what a challenge. Like, wow. Just like, whole different world. All of a sudden, I went from doing, you know, multiple sports, having a good schedule and routine. And I feel like my freshman year, there was times I was just like running around in like pure chaos, not knowing what I was doing. (laughs) Because I was just like getting used to another lifestyle. And I was out on my own. And like, there was no one to pick me up like my freshman year, I didn't have a car at in college. So transportation was a thing and like eating my own food and like cooking and dealing with all of those other things. It was just like, all of a sudden, I had like a strength coach, like yelling at me to do more lunges, like (laughs) add add 10 more pounds, like all of this. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, like, (sighs) I'm stressed. I was always tired, always sore. But you know, college was a great experience because I felt like everything was new and exciting in the beginning. And then it was a challenge, right? And I had a choice. Like, I had a choice. Do I want to stay the same as I was in high school? Or do I want to grow? Do I want to accept the challenge in front of me? And I think, there was a couple points where I had to look myself in the mirror and think about what I wanted. And I had to tell myself, okay, do you want, do you want to have a growth mindset and do you want to accept this challenge and try to get better? Or do you want to stay the same? And that's where I had hard, hard times and hard moments because I had to change, right? Change isn't always easy. Sometimes it's hard and difficult, you know, or I had to like, I had to accept the challenge and try to level up. And in college, I felt like I really developed that mindset. Yeah. What advice would you
0: have to girls in college right now that are going through exactly what you're talking about? You know, and they they're gonna get to those moments and those humps where they're gonna feel like, wow, like, am I good enough or should I keep doing mm-hmm. this? You know, what I think there's there's so many moments in that college experience as a student athlete from when you start as a freshman and everything's new, like you said, to when you kind of get to like sophomore junior year mm-hmm. and you're really thinking, wait, am I going to be a pro or not? What mm-hmm. should I really be doing here? There's just so many moments that I think can be challenging for yeah. girls in college. So what, what is your biggest piece of advice, I guess, to the college athletes today to, to make it through their college experience all four years With like a great, like you said, a growth mindset, but also just coming out of it and being healthy. Yeah. Not,
1: you know, Mm -hmm. what would be your advice? Well, just in general, a general piece of advice and everybody says it about college is just time management, right? Time management is huge. I used to write a lot of lists. Lists really helped me. Um, A planner obviously is key. Those things really help. But I would also say like, finding out ways to manage your emotional highs and lows. I think in the, in college I went through a lot of like just emotional peaks and emotional valleys and looking back at it now, if I had a better ability to just manage some of the highs and lows on just staying steady earlier, just like at least earlier in my college career. I, I kind of figured it out my senior year, but if I had figured it out my sophomore and junior year, things probably could have been easier. But I think, you know, that was that growth period that I needed just emotionally. But being able to manage the highs and lows and also, yeah, I think that's the key as you grow up in college. And that's part of just growing up, you know, being on your own. Um,
0: what resources would you utilize a bit more you know, to stay organized or to keep your mental health in check during your college experience?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, I went to a sports psychologist when I was in college, and that really helped me on the softball field. But I think that I still experienced a lot of like personal highs and lows, because I didn't know how to manage those as well. So if I had an ability to have access to someone that could help me just kind of one, manage my time, manage my individual expectations, manage other people's expectations of me, those sort of mental, mental keys and strategies that people have now. And just emotional intelligence, I think that would be really helpful for me. If I was in college nowadays, I also think just people not only talking about time management, but teaching you how to manage your time. You know, we talk about it a lot, how to use a planner, how to schedule things. But I think there's one thing about talking about it. And there's another thing about someone showing you how to do it and what is actually possible to do in one day. You know, when I was in college, I thought I could do everything in one day. Like, Oh, Monica, you're going to lift, you're going to run, you're going to throw 100 pitches, you're going to strike everybody out. <laughs> like, And you're also going to write a 20 page paper all in one day. <laughs> but don't don't worry about sleep. Don't worry about eating, like just do all that. And you're good. But in reality, you can't do all that, like you're going to wear yourself out. And that's when you you experience those emotional. That's when I would experience those emotional highs and lows. So I just think being able to not only talk about it, but somebody teaching me what is realistic to be able to get done in a time frame and being able to do it.
0: I think that's such good advice. And sometimes you need somebody to go and talk to that maybe isn't on the sports psychology side yeah. to help you with some of that stuff. So I think that's so important. And yeah. A great, a great tip for the girls that are still in
1: college. Yeah. The sports psychology part was good because it taught me how to like, do like an in-game routine and when I have a negative thought how to push it back or how to really like visualize and stuff like that while I'm while I was in the game that's what I learned from my sports psychologist in college and it really helped me create like power words and things like that but if having someone separate for just you know growing up would have been huge Thank you for listening to the Voice in Sport podcast. My name is Cheyenne Knight. I'm a junior soccer player at Howard University and producer of this week's episode. If you're enjoying the episode and would like to get the chance to talk to athletes like her, go to voiceandsportcom slash join to sign up for a free membership and gain access to exclusive episodes, mentorship sessions, and other weekly content. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Voice in Sport. Now let's get back to the episode.
0: Well, I'm um, now I'm curious, what are your power words
1: in life right now or just
0: what are your power words today?
1: Uh, okay. My power words today. Let's see. I always use the word breathe just when things are getting too fast or slow in my life. Breathe. I like to say like activate just to kind of get yourself going. Those are two that I've been using a lot right now. I love that. And yeah. I think it's so
0: important, like even in each phase of your career, I'm sure you had different power words, but of course. I just love this concept, you know, like if a girl is listening right now in college, like thinking about what those power words might be for you, I think is incredibly Powerful. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about how you dominated the actual sport um, <laughs> in college because you did sort of dominate. So Thank did you. you, you know, did you add pitches to your arsenal or did you just work on perfecting the ones you already knew?
1: Uh, oh, that's a good question. <laughs> okay. So when I was in, my unless you don't want to tell us, no, secrets. this is actually, this is actually a really good story. And not a lot of people ask me this. So when I was in college, my freshman year, I just kind of threw the pitches I knew that I came in with from high school. I had a screwball, a curveball, and just a rise ball. That's kind of what I lived on. And then my sophomore year, I learned what I would call is step pitches. So I would learn to kind of locate in different locations on like a curveball. And then I had my curveball, a screwball, and a rise ball. Then my junior year, they kept trying to get me to throw a change up. And by golly, I wanted to throw it, but I just couldn't get it to slow down. <laughs> and for you guys that don't know, I'm, I'm known as a power pitcher, um, a power pitcher and a rise ball pitcher. So in college, you know, I came into college throwing like 65, 67. And by the time I was a junior, a, a sophomore and junior, I was throwing like 70 consistently so I would throw my change up which on average you make it 10 miles per hour slower 10 to 12 miles per hour slow and I would throw it like 60 which is what everyone tells you but 60 miles per hour at that time was what a lot of pitchers were throwing so it was just too fast I would have to take like and I couldn't figure out how to get like 20 miles per hour off my change up so it would get hit a lot And then my senior year, I actually, I started throwing a drop ball and I came back to college after like, I had this stint with the national team. And I went to my coach. I was like, oh, I don't throw this pitch anymore. And I don't throw that anymore. And she kind of looked at me like I was an idiot. She's like, so what? You're just going to throw a rise ball. How are you going to get people out? And you don't have a change up. So what are you going to do? That was one of my head coaches said that to me. And my pitching coach came to me. He's like, all right, so if you're not going to throw a screwball anymore and you're going to throw this drop ball and this drop ball, what we're going to have you do is we're going to make you throw a low rise. And you're going to rise the ball from, like, the knees to the waist. And then you're going to have another rise where you're going to rise from the knees to the head or to the, you know, the chin. And he's like, if you can can manage those two pitches and throw a drop ball here and there, we can win. And you'll be great, and so my senior year, I came back to college and my senior season, I just basically threw a low rise ball and a high rise, and then I had a little bit of a drop ball in my curve, yeah, that was it, and that incredible it, yeah it was it was it's actually incredible athletically just because as a senior I redeveloped I had some success in college previously as a senior I redeveloped myself as a pitcher but having that low rise that opened up my game for me and I became 10 times better and I was like man if only I'd done that a couple years earlier <laughs> but it opened up my game and I really believe that doing that actually allowed me to make the Olympic team in 2008 It's pretty incredible because
0: if holding university records wasn't enough, I mean, you went on to set career and single season Mm -hmm. NCAA records in your senior season. Yeah. With 189 victories, Mm -hmm. 2,440 strikeouts, Mm -hmm. 112 shutouts and 253 appearances. Yeah. I mean, it's just incredible. So do you think that that sort of mindset of being open to shifting your your game is is something that younger girls can take as a lesson for earlier on in their career. Like, you know, because I feel like you get to a certain level and then you feel like, you know what, I I'm looking around and I'm seeing that these other girls are, are improving and I'm not. And a lot of girls then at that decision decide to quit, Mm -hmm. but you just like, you shifted your game. And I know you were already doing well, but you shifted your game. So how do you get in the mindset of being like, okay, like I'm going to try something new.
1: Well, I think ignorance is bliss. (laughs) And I think for me, you know, when you have some success and you're doing good, and then you can kind of, you have to let it develop naturally. Like, yes, I would have loved to throw that low rise ball my freshman or sophomore year. But would I have, was I ready to throw it? Like, was I ready athletically to be able to throw it and be able to consistently throw it as a strike without other pitches? probably not. But I will say one, if you're younger, and you're you're thinking about making a change, do it naturally, don't force it, right? Allow it to develop. But I think the other thing is too, that I did really well in this particular case, like my senior year going into my senior year with this pitch is I went all in on it. Like I didn't, I think that's really what the difference maker was for me is I had a pitch and I was like, 100% committed to it. And I was like, no, this is what it's going to take. I can't throw the other ones. I was like, no, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. And my coach even told me, she's like, all right, so if you're not going to use it, I'll give you like a month. And if you can't do it, then you have to use the other pitches or something. She put like a timeline on me. And if it's not working, then you have to use the other ones. And I was like, okay. And I went all in on just harnessing and cultivating and creating that low rise pitch and making sure that it was it was good enough and yeah it's like one small opportunity created itself an idea came they helped me figure out how to do it and i went all in on it and ran through the door when that door opened for me and i think that's what really separated for me my senior year of college and what you know those numbers show it shows that willingness to change and evolve.
0: To continue listening to this podcast, please go to voiceinsport.com and sign up for free. Monica reminds us that the more stars come more attention, but the more attention comes more money and the more money comes more opportunities for women to reach their professional goals. Just as Monica said, no matter how big your door is, run through it and don't look back. Head to minute number 29 to hear more. This week's episode was produced and edited by Viz creator Cheyenne Knight, a soccer player from Howard University. We're so grateful that Monica shared her story with us today, and we look forward to watching her as she continues to fight for change in the game of women's softball. You can follow Monica on Instagram at Monica Abbott. Please subscribe to the Voice in Sport podcast, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and send this episode to a friend that you think might enjoy our conversation. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Voice in Sport. If you are interested in joining our community, sign up for free at voiceinsport.com to get started. When you join Voice in Sport, you gain access to our exclusive content and podcasts, mentorship sessions from professional athletes, and access to the top viz experts in sports psychology and nutrition. See you next week on the Voice in Sport podcast.